to you by Rocky Mountain Speed and Fang. Thanks for tuning in today, folks. We've got something a little bit different today. A few weeks ago, I got to sit down with an old friend, Bob Neal of Bueller, Kansas. I was back home visiting my family for a few days, and I convinced Bob to sit down with me for a little bit. I think Bob's expectations were low, but the result, in my opinion, was fantastic. Here's a few highlights of what we talked about that evening. Today, we've got Bob Neal with us. You can say hello. Hello. <laughs> Bob here is a uh, retired racer. <laughs> retired dirt track racer. Yeah. Like, this guy raced real race cars. I hate to say this. Well, maybe I don't hate to say this. Like, you're pretty much the inspiration, right? Uh I don't you, know about that. You got me in my first race car ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We haven't. When was that? That was probably Golly, that. Well, that car's been dead for <laughs> last time it raced. My son, my wife was pregnant with our first son, so I'm saying that was at least 13 years ago. I left Kansas in 2008, so it had to be before that. Oh, I thought it was on one of your trips back. No, I was in Manhattan. I think. Oh, okay. So, holy cow. And what kind of car was that? That was a 1980 Mercury Grand Marquis, powered by a 351 Windsor. It was pretty pretty hot. And we ran that in the Cruiser Class. Cru cruiser Class is at Hutchinson Raceway Park. Hutchinson yep. Raceway Park, which is no longer in existence. No longer in existence. No, there's ugly photos of it from from a, a drone now. It's yeah, amazing. I've seen that. So the the trick with that car was, I think <laughs> you steered. Yep. And I pushed the gas pedal. Throttled. And the gas pedal was on the passenger side of the vehicle. And if I remember correctly, we got a top three. Uh, yes, we did. I, there, think, I there, think that's right. We won't say how many cars were in the race, but <laughs> we got a top. It, it three. was more than ten. It was more than ten. And the best part of the whole race was at the end. This is my recall of your recollection. We pull up on the scales because we were top three, <laughs> yeah. and the guy outside was screaming that the car was on fire. That sounds about right for that car. And all you had told me before the race was a couple of basic hand signals. Basic, yeah. If I hit you, I wanted you to let off the gas. Yeah. And if I started waving my hands, push the gas. And then you also told me, here's how to take the seatbelt off. If the car catches on, on fire, fire, don't ask questions. Just, just get, get out. <laughs> and so the guy's screaming, our car's on fire. And I got out. <laughs> I think pretty quick. Yeah, and I kept, yeah, just get in here. Yeah, because the car wasn't really on no, fire. No, I, I think we had the uh, timing a little too advanced. And the exhaust manifolds were actually glowing orange. Yeah, that yeah. sounds about right. Yeah. They So that was the first time <laughs> I ever went racing. I mean I think I probably like hung out with you in the pits. Yeah. And I wouldn't say helped, but no, kind but, of pitted. Yeah. That was the beginning to my love of the pits. <laughs> Cause Hutch Raceway Park had some awesome pits. Yeah they did. But that was back in the day, like if you had a flat tire, everyone's out there with a with a four way tire iron. You know, the the cordless impacts were were coming but the only the rich guys had those yeah so and that definitely wasn't us that would have been like 2005 ish what yeah. would like your yearly budget for racing have been Ah, uh, man 
Um, well, when we built the car, we blew the budget completely out. I mean, it, it, this class was designed for supposed to be knock the windows out, put a cage in it, and go racing. Chain type. the bumpers on. Yeah, chain the bumpers on. Nothing special. Um, our car had every it had coil suspension all the way around. Every coil got changed. Every shock got changed. Um, back then, you were allowed to run the stock fuel tank, but no, we wanted more weight in the back, so we took the fuel tank out and hung a fuel cell in the back end so that there'd be more rear weight. We changed the A-arms and A-arm angles. We, When we built the cage, you know, they, all they had was a for that class, just to try to make it cheap, was it had to be this diameter of tubing. Well, when we built it, we made it a chromoly because it was lighter. <laughs> and, and it was expensive. And, and still strong, yeah, yeah. So, And that was the first car that I we had ever built from scratch. That was you and our buddy Kyle. Uh, no, no, it was me and my brother Jesse. Oh, that's right. Kyle and I had raced a 78 LTD, which is basically the same exact car, just two years older, um, that was given to me. That's the one I remember. That's, that was the first one. That was the red, white, and three shades of blue car. Yeah. <laughs> but when Jesse and I, because Kyle went back down to Texas A&M, and Jesse finished the season with me, because Kyle was the gas man for that that first season. We you guys did. ran a bunch of races. We ran every week. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that first car, it was literally given to us. The only money we had into that thing was the seat belts. <laughs> it had the stock tank. It still had the dash in it and the speedometer that worked. Um, and a little bitty four-point roll cage. So did you just run the second car with Jesse then? The second car came around because when we first started, there were two classes of cruisers. There was the street cruisers, which was basically a small block class. And then there was the outlaw cruisers. <laughs> and it was basically run what you brung. No, no engine restrictions, no nothing. Um, and that was the first year when Kyle and I started doing this with a bone stock 78 LTD with a 302. And we went out there and had, just had a ton of fun. Well, Kyle went to school. I went to a local school so I could continue to race um, for college. So I had my brother sit in as my gas man and we finished out the season. My brother absolutely fell in love with it. Found out Kyle wasn't going to come back the next year from A&M for the summer. So I'm like, well, Jesse, you want to you build a new car? You want to race with me? He's like, yeah, but we should build a new car. <laughs> and so we wanted to reuse the cage and reuse as many parts as we could. Um, so we found another car like it, and that's when we got the Grand Marquis. And you guys, two built, you guys built all that. And we built it from scratch we we took we took we tried to take the cage out of the old car uh found out it was made out of exhaust pipe i remember that that that's when we were like well we're starting from scratch and we're going to use chromoly <laughs> but uh yeah that was quite that was quite the scary task we cut the roof off the old car so we could keep the cage intact and put it in the ne in the new car and we had cut the roof off I went and grabbed one of the down bars and it fell off from the main halo bar. And I went, what? And I looked at the wall thickness and it, it was not just exhaust pipe, it was cheap. 
exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God we never rolled this car. (laughs) But it looked good from the outside, and it passed tech. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm sure uh, a few UTV guys are listening to this. Yeah. And, you know, we always do our best to pass tech. No (laughs) one ever cuts any corners. Right, right, right. But, so, yeah, then you got in that car... I think I got to race in it one time. Yeah. Maybe Kyle raced in it one time with you. Yeah, and uh, I think I had a couple guys from work racing that car towards the end. That car, I think, raced for two straight seasons solid. Um, Blew up one motor, um, and we raced figure eights in it. We oh, ra- yeah, figure eights. Yeah, we ra- my brother and I raced figure eights in it. We raced uh, cruiser enduros, two of those. They're 100-lap races. That'd be cool. It is because when you're a cruiser racer, you're the low end of the totem pole. You go out first for your heat race, so you're in mud. You go out first in for the features or last, depending on the track condition. You are there to help prep the track for everyone else and so when you got to race for 100 laps you got to make the track basically you got to run it where you wanted to be and develop the lane you wanted to run because you had 100 laps to to wear the track in so what did those races pay out um we won a couple we won a lot of heat races but heat races don't pay Uh, we won a few features throughout the year the years um, I think the most I, in the cruiser class I ever walked away with at the end of the night was 200 bucks. Dang, that's pretty good. <laughs> Not bad, I except mean, for if you blew a tire that night or... I remember you were always digging up tires yep, and wheels. That, that car, as heavy as it was, and as low as I made the suspension with the new springs, um, when you set that car up in the corner... It really put a lot of force on the right front wheel. We actually ripped the centers out of solid steel wheels multiple times. Yeah. Um, we never did it to anything but the right front. But getting that car to set in the corner and then get back on the gas, it, there was a lot of pounds coming down on that right front for a second. So you need to come with us to... Uh... Some of our Ultra 4 races, because I'm sure that you would totally oh, dig it. It's, I'm sure I'd geek out at it. It is a total geek fest yeah. for guys that know how to set stuff up. What? Well, I've been to a couple NASCAR races, and I just look. like I just, yeah. My wife makes fun of me, because I'm like just watching in awe. Plus, I think you like it because the pits are way more exciting. I yeah. mean, there's like action going on. There's And there's, you know, in dirt track racing, in the heat of the... The, the racing night, the most you're going to be able to affect anything is changing tires, maybe rejetting your carburetor. Yeah. If you have a quick change rear end, you might be able to tune your car with a new rear gear. But in the type of racing you've been describing, you guys are doing, I mean, what was it? You lost a drive shaft. Yeah. And we just zip tied it up and finished <laughs> right. the race in two wheel drive. Right. And it, was that you finished racing front wheel or rear wheel? Rear wheel. Okay. Because it's a, a Razor is a rear engine, so your four wheel drive. Okay. It's going to be your front too. Okay. You're always in rear wheel because the transmission and the engines in the back. Okay. So what we do, what guys do lose a lot of is drive axles, right? Because we're mm-hmm. basically 
full independent suspension, independent right. so, rear, CV independent joints, front. or yep. yeah, okay. So you've got eight CVs in the car, mm-hmm. right? And those drive axles, especially in like the rocky sections, that's what you lose. Right. Or you lose a boot, a rubber boot, nothing mechanical. Right, but, but it then, eats up. Then you lose your grease, and right. then you lose the CV. I'm not talking about anybody specific. Robert Taylor, who <laughs> drives a Honda Talon, he tends to lose CVs in his Talon. Mm. Um, the last race, he got it so hot. Not being side-by-side guy, who makes the Talon? That's a Honda. Okay, when you say Talon to me, I'm thinking of Eagle. The old, <laughs> the, the old cars from the 90s. Definitely not a Talon. <laughs> so Honda makes a Talon. Okay. Uh, our buddy Robert and Adam race that. Um, our buddy Matt over at Champ Racing races a Can-Am X3, which he has... He bought that as a race car, and mm. he's gone through everything, beefed everything up. You know how ra- how racing is. Mm-hmm. You beef up one thing and you find, you the, find next the next week. week's point. Yep. So he's been through that for a few years, and this year the weak point was the chassis. Oh. So he just bought a full Oof. aftermarket spec chassis, um, and I think he's waiting until after Oklahoma in October, and he's gonna basically put everything off the old car onto the new chassis. Oh wow! And that's not cheap. Well, I completely get the finding the next weakness thing yeah when I, I started racing with the cruisers i ended my ended my career in what's called street stocks that was the black and white that car. was the the black and white monte carlo 80, 85 monte carlo um that that car built close to 700 horsepower adjustable front suspension which is crazy because right now you could go to a, a to, Ford dealership right, and buy that car. Right, or a Dodge dealership. You well, know, you know I'm a Mopar guy. You can get the Hellcat. Yeah. Or a Scat Pack. Come on, man. I mean, or a TRX you, and kick your the race hell out car of had some rust on it too. So yeah. Oh my gosh. We won't get in the Ford Chevy Dodge debate because I'll win. <laughs> but uh, this is more of a Polaris Can-Am right. Honda. Debate. But when you start adding power, like yeah. in that Monte Carlo. Very first race out, I treaded the GM 10-bolt rear end, replaced it with a 9-inch rear end, disc brakes. It was in, It ended up being better, just a lot of work. Then we found out the next weakest point was the transmission. We were using old Chevy Saginaw 3-speeds, and I think in that one year I, I chewed up four transmissions. I feel like the, the those... synchros would go out, and it would you'd let off the gas, and it would come out of gear. That's really handy in the middle of a turn, <laughs> trying to get the thing thing in the gear so you get back on the gas. Back in that day, I mean, I don't we I don't know if any of us were married yet. You were like wrenching on that race car uh, every every night. night. Well, I had the I was fortunate. I didn't own that car. That's right. <laughs> when it was built, somebody saw me racing cruiser cars, liked the way I drove, and offered me a ride. So this guy, his name was Bob. Uh, Bob Renner, we created Ren Racing, and you knew Bob Renner. We knew that. I knew Bob Renner before that. He, was, him, and my dad went to high school together, good friends. But uh, his stepson, myself, and at least at time, at least all the time, one other guy. And that that third guy was always a rotating. Um, we all built cars. For started out as my first 
single car was an IMCA hobby stock, and then I went to street stocks. And you raced pretty much just at Hutch, right? Yeah, pretty much in, in Hutch. We went to Wichita a couple times, but they were... Wichita wasn't any fun to go to. Because um, you weren't Wichita guys. Right. We went there with one car. It was another cruiser car. But we had built that one off of a Pontiac Ventura chassis. Pontiac Ventura is basically a Nova, a Chevy Nova. But in the cruiser rules, you couldn't run Chevys because it's too easy to cheat and make a small block run really well and pass tech with illegal parts. So first rule in cruiser racing was no Chevys. But you could run Pontiac, <laughs> Oldsmobile, yeah. Buick, Ford, Dodge, all the other stuff. So we ran a 78 Pontiac Ventura, Pontiac 400 with a uh, uh, Turbo 350 automatic transmission that we messed with the valve, valve body to where it only go into two gears. It only run on second gear. Um, so we went to, to Wichita to race this cruiser car. We built this car as a race car. It had bumper-to-bumper roll cage. Frame was stiffened up. Um, and when we got there, they told we they wouldn't pass us on tech. And we were like, why? Because it meets every rule that's in black and white on their rules. And they said, well, you, you kind of reinforced the frame right here. And you, you guys built it like a race car. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was younger then and a lot more boisterous than I am now and I looked the guy in the eye and I said where in the bleep are we I thought we were at a bleeping racetrack so yes I brought a race car and he said well you're you're not racing here so we never went back after that to Wichita so funny story in our world like king of the hammers is the big off-road race right we have all these classes we run 4900 UTV so we got some big names and some big manufacturers, and those guys run their Can-Am X3s in the UTV race, and they turn around two, three, four days later, and then they run them in the 4400 race. So 4400 and Ultra 4 is unlimited. Okay. No rules. No shock rules, no engine rules, no tire rules, just safety rules. So these dudes take their side-by-sides, and they say, we want to race in the 4400 race on Saturday. Now, some of the 4400 guys don't like that, mm-hmm. right? Because these are million-dollar buggies, mm-hmm. custom-built. Mm-hmm. And these guys are showing up with $100,000, $200,000 side-by-sides built by a manufacturer in Can-Am and sponsored by Can-Am. And they say, well, we don't want them to run the race. Well, Dave Cole, the main man at Ultra 4, said... The only rule is there's no rules. Right. They pay the entry fee. They're right. in the race. And these guys have finished the last two years they've done it. I think they've all finished top 15 both years. And we're talking a class of 50-plus. Right. And uh, these Can-Ams hand it to the them. The Can-Ams are going up against vehicles with 7, 8, yeah, we're, 100 horsepower. We're, and... we're talking 1,000-plus horsepower. Oh, we're talking 40-plus tires, 40-plus inch tires. Right. Um it's nuts. And then you see them next to each other, and you're like, well, I, you know, that's a golf cart. Right. I think when we were in my, <laughs> in Sturgis, maybe, they kept calling the UTVs the golf cart class. Well, these things can put out. But. So, uh, hold on. Not being a side-by-side guy. What is a 
Ultra Four. You said Ultra Four is what the class you run in. We're forty nine hundred class. Okay, what's the average horsepower? So kind of depends. That's also a big debate right now because they want to classify UTVs. Okay. Right now, UTV is UTV. It's an open okay. class. It's a, okay. It has to be homogulated, which means production. So the Hondas run like Robert's going to get mad because I'm not going to get this right, but Honda runs like 85 horsepower. My stock Razor 1000 uh, naturally aspirated no turbo runs 110 horsepower. A turboed Razor 1000 runs 168, 170 horsepower. The wow. newest Can-Ams. You're that telling they... me putting that turbo on it makes, you just spit out numbers, makes a 60% gain on horsepower? It goes from 110 to 68, so 58 horsepower. Yeah. Jeez. So that motor is a little bit different the block's different the crank's different there's mm. some clutching stuff but the chassis and everything's pretty much the same the newest can-am that they just released a few weeks ago i think or a month ago is pushing over 200 horsepower you you can go to a can-am dealer and buy a machine right now with 200 plus horsepower that weighs 1500 pounds. i was gonna say what's the power to weight ratio holy insane cow. Um, most of them come stock 32 inch tires um, that's big. That's bigger tires than you and I went off roading in in my Bronco two in high school. Yeah, that's bigger <laughs> tires than I had on my Jeep Wrangler. Yeah. Um, a lot of us run thirty five inch tires, which is why we see drive axle issues because mm-hmm. that's a lot of weight. Um, that's what my Ram Charger had on it. Thirty five. Yeah. So with a seven inch lift. You're talking about going to a dealership, paying thirty grand getting 200 horsepower, 1,500 pounds, and the stuff that you have to do to race it is pretty minimal. And the, and probably by now, there's a lot of aftermarket bolt-on. You don't have to yeah. fabricate much yourself. Yeah. I mean, I know you guys, when you built yours, fabricated, you modified the, the, the chassis. Yeah. From a four-seater to a longer wheelbase two-seater. Yep. I did watch that, by the way. Yeah, that was a great <laughs> YouTube video. That was... That's a great time to key in the promo for Rocky Mountain Speed and Fab and doing stuff with Hopper. Doing stuff with Hopper. Um, I've met Hopper once in my life. The last time we came up. You met Hopper? I have met Hopper. When was that? I don't even remember you coming to my house. I don't know. Did you come up for a day? Uh, Yeah, basically. It was at the first house he had in Fraser. In Granby. Granby. Okay, yeah. And... God... So, so Hopper has. We were driving. <laughs> edit this part out. We were driving the Malibu Max at that time. Oh yeah, that great Mesa. car. <laughs> yeah, I had to give up my man card for that. I think the Malibu Max is worse than the Chrysler Town and Country that we own now. But well, your wife owns that. Right, right, right. No drive, race car driver ever owns a man. Right, I, I'm a Ram 2500. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you came up for the day. I. I didn't remember you meeting Hopper. Yeah, we met Hopper. I can't remember. Can't remember how it went, but it wasn't very long. Yeah, but I have met Hopper once in my life, and good guy. He, I like he, Hopper. He, he sure seems like it. I wish if he Hopper puts could up be with right you. Um, he deserves an award. But. Well, I think most people see the other way around. If we put yeah, up but I've known you longer than most people. Well, that's true. <laughs> 
when well when did we we would have met in probably seventh, seventh grade. grade yeah but so I don't in 1994 94 oh, yeah yeah but I don't think we hung out much in seventh and eighth grade <laughs> no it was probably 98 I'm trying to think no of 96 high school it was you and I were behind everyone else in our clique Oh, that's when it came to, to it was when ag it came to class. ag classes, yeah, they all started our freshman year. You and I started like Sophomore a semester years. or a year behind them. Yeah, that's right. We were always a little behind our everyone else in our quote well, unquote ag clique. But the reason for that was because we weren't only in the ag clique. Yeah, we were both multi clique right. high schoolers. I was a jock clique slash ag clique, and you were. Yeah. You were the. I hung out with all kinds of people, yeah, man. You, yeah, you did. It, I, it's no different now. I hang out with Hopper and other people that <laughs> I are totally think Hopper would have fit in great with our ag click. He would have. <laughs> he would have. <laughs> I think Hopper would love eating meeting Eric. Ah, uh, man, I think that Hopper is more of a Josh Adrian kind of guy. I do. Uh, that's what I mean. He would love to meet Eric and make a. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we I think can, he'd be entertained. By I don't Eric. know if we can talk about Eric because I use Eric's name as my fake alias on uh, the oh, internet. Okay, okay, okay. So I hate to uh, <laughs> lead people down, let people know what I'm doing. So yeah, we we've known each other a while, oh, dude. Longer than I'd like to admit. <laughs> I mean, that's almost thirty years. Yeah, and you're you're forty, right? Thirty-nine. No, no, no. When's your birthday? January. Okay. So. Because I just turned 39, so you're old. The crazy thing is, is that if you and I have known each other since like 94-ish, I've known Kyle since probably 86, (laughs) 87-ish. I've known Josh Adrian since. 81. 82, (laughs) 83, probably 83. Right. I mean, man, you think that. That's a long time to be running around with the yeah. same guys. And the fact that Kyle, you, me, Josh, really are the only four I keep in contact with oh, from I, school. I couldn't tell you anybody that I right. talked to that we go to school with. Yeah. But Josh See, and is... I was, I was the outsider to that group. You yeah. guys were all born and raised Beeler, and I was, I was the outsider until middle school. Ironically, you are the only one that actually lives in Beeler now. <laughs> And the three that of us is, That is don't. correct. You're like the mayor of Bueller almost. Uh, no, not quite. I just live in the in the mayor's house. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I always thought that was the mayor's house when I was a kid. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that you were the outsider. Well, you guys were, you went through K through 12 Yeah, together. we did. We did. I, I didn't know you guys until seventh grade. And I hated Kyle. That's I was going to say, didn't you guys? In seventh grade, and I ended up naming my first son after him. i got to figure out how to get Kyle on one of these shows. Uh, Josh is going to get like a two-episode, probably, because he's going to have some stories. He's going to have some stories, and he's probably going to want to talk about how a 66 through 77 Bronco is almost the same, exact same thing as a side-by-side. Well, you know, Broncos are huge. Uh, Ford Broncos a huge sponsor for Ultra Four, man. Really? Yeah, we see they have them at all the races and stuff. And the the newest cars, a um, couple of the big names like Von Gittin Jr. Lauren Healy raced the brand new Ford Bronco. I'll we see. still 
my dad still has the 68 Bronco that my dad, my brother rolled. And I so badly want to rebuild that. But time and money. Yeah, well, that's, that's the constant struggle with being a car guy or being into racing. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking on my phone here so I can see if I can show you a picture of what these Broncos run. These are 4,400 cars. What's funny is is they call them they call the back half of it the backpack, and they take the backpack off at some of these races because the spare tire is shoved up underneath there. Uh-huh. Well, now I can't find the picture. Our car dealership in town. I saw the first new Bronco. Not a fan. Yeah, so that's the 4400 Bronco. It's really a there's, tube. It's a tube chassis. I was gonna say there's nothing Bronco about that no. with the swing arm rear suspension, tube chassis, completely. Yep. So these guys will actually. I think they're building a Bronco for uh, one of the other classes that is on a stock chassis, chassis. platform. Yeah, because they've got some more rules. Oh, there it is. This is from Sturgis. So that's oh, that's four, still that's still the tube chassis. Yeah, so that's a 4400 car, like, sponsored by Ford. Okay, like I've always been into off-road stuff. I've always liked reading off-road magazine and all that. What kind of suspension travel do your UTVs get? Um, my factory Polaris 1000. It's not a race car. Right. I'm guessing 11 inches at most. No, 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 man. That's like that's like Honda Talon numbers. <laughs> um, Who's going to be upset by that remark? That'll be our good friends, Robert Taylor and Adam <laughs> Hemrick. Um, let's see. I don't want to give you any incorrect numbers. I think so I know what it is. You're Google boxing it? Yeah, I'm Googling this with my phone real quick. Here we go. Factory specs. Clearance, I think I got about 14 inches. Mm-hmm. Um, travel. It's got a, I guess you said you're getting 30, 35s under it. But that's modified. Usable travel, 16 inches. Front or rear or all? That's front. Rear is 18 inches. Okay. I thought 18 was the number. So that's a factory Razor 1000. That's that's nuts. not even what we've built. Like what we built a little bit bigger than that. Right. So yeah, anytime you put you because on your race car, you had to put longer A arms on, right? Um, we bought a Turbo S. So from the factory, it came at like 72 inches wide. So our aftermarket HCR suspension is the same. Okay. Now. You get a little bit more sometimes because you're on a different offset wheel. Right. We run beadlock rims um, with our thir- big tires. Oh, beadlocks are awesome. Um, in, my, in my dirt track days, we were allowed to run beadlocks on the right rear only. <laughs> well, Hopper doesn't think they're awesome because Hopper's our beadlock guy. And he, he, doesn't, just, he won't use an impact. He does it all by hand and hand torques all those bolts. Hopper, I know we don't know each other. But you're being dumb. <laughs> it takes, and so uh, also for reference, for California, we'll have 12 tires and 12 wheels all mm-hmm. mounted up that we'll take with us to the well, race. Well, I guess 
That's fair. I mean, there's you're running four bead locks. I was able to run one. Yeah. So it's a lot of work, but because on a dirt track car, the left side tires, they were just there for show. Yeah. <laughs> they really didn't do anything. So the cool thing about hammers is, is it's like part desert, part technical rock, mm-hmm. like really technical rock. Um, and the desert will hit 90 miles an hour. And the rocks will go up mountains where there's no trail. Mm-hmm. It's just rocks. So you have this huge range of like what you're trying to do, right? It'd be like if you took an oval car and right. wanted to race it at a road course. Right. Like we all know NASCAR builds specific cars for those to courses. Turn, yeah, they, they have cars that turn left. Yeah. And they have road course cars. Yeah. So... That's kind of what makes these cars crazy is because yeah. they're built for everything. And then you go to a track like we talked about, Moab. Moab's like 99% rock. Like there's no straight parts of Moab. Mm-hmm. You go to Sturgis where we were in a short course, which was crazy. And then, uh, yeah. What's your differentials look like actually in a UTV? So... Is there a third member that comes out like I'm thinking of in a car? So the transmission in the very back on a Razor, I can only Mm. speak to a Razor because that's what we have. The transmission is in the back, and that's directly hooked up to the motor. Okay. And that's ran by a a belt. Belt? Yep, a clutch belt. That transmission comes out to the two drive axles that go to the rear drive, and it's locked. The transmission is the differential. It's always locked. And how does it transfer power to the front? You click on an electronic front differential locker and it engages the front differential. Mm-hmm. And then that turns the front wheels. It's always locked. Hmm. The differential is mounted to the chassis. The engine and the transmission is mounted to the chassis. So all of your movement, your, your vertical movement, all your drive is through your CVs. Hmm. So your diffs don't move. Right. All the articulation is being done yeah. through the CVs. Yep. On um, a 34 or a 35 inch tire that weighs right. well, I know 50 how much pounds, you know. My, so my, it's a lot of force. And those are all just splined in. Right. Again, you know, I'm only talking about a razor because that's mostly how what many I've spline on. is a razor rear axle? Or axle shaft. You know, that's a good question. I don't know I've ever counted the slides. Because uh, dirt track racing, Ford, we put a 4-9-inch in after we blew up the 10-bolt GM rear end. Um, you have two options, 28 or 31 spline axles. And it's amazing what three splines cost. Well, I think Jeep, <laughs> Jeeps go through that too. There's a certain <laughs> age of like Wrangler or XJ where... It would, they upped the splines. Right. Because they we were We ran designed. 28s because gear, packages, everything was cheaper. Yeah. And yeah. probably more accessible. Right. So it's different, but it's really not, man. It's yeah. a lot of... It's all about... Any kind of racing, I don't care what you're doing, is all about horsepower, number one. But horsepower doesn't mean shit if you can't get it to the ground. Yeah. And that's it. Now I mean, now try was, getting it to the ground when you only have three tires on Right. The I mean, I never felt like I ever had the class out horsepower in my dirt track racing career. 
because I was on a budget. Yeah. When I was a part of Ren Racing, that budget was split by sometimes five cars. We ran four cylinder classes, a couple different V8 classes, and all sorts of stuff. So that, I mean, that money had to be divided up. So I never felt like I had anyone out-dollared, out-horsepowered. But some nights, less horsepower is a good thing on a dirt track, at least. Yep. You and got, I, I think a lot of it comes to get it to the ground. A lot of it comes down to your driver, because uh, you know it's easy, and especially in like a UTV class, to pay somebody to build it. Yeah. Well, that's an advantage that we have is that we've put every nut and bolt on that car right. probably twice. <laughs> um, and so between the four of us, I mean, you know, Jeff and Joe diagnosed and fixed a broken drive shaft with zip ties and duct tape, and. 20 minutes right and finished the race and still got 10th place right in the race but those guys had put all that together they knew how it worked so yeah. there's something to be said about building your stuff and knowing it yeah that's uh, as, a, sure. as opposed to in any race series where you just pay and show up and you know cross your fingers right i mean you could be Richard Childress's grandson and not know what the hell anything is and still have, still get to drive NASCAR. I mean, did Brad Keselowski hook him a couple of weeks ago? What Dylan? Austin Dylan? Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't care. Austin Dylan deserved it in one way or another. Oh. I'm a Keselowski fan because he used to race a Dodge. Have you so. Have you been watching lately at all? Not a whole lot. Right now, I'm. Hundred and ten percent behind Chase Elliott. Oh yeah, you would be. Hey, he's got the heritage, <sighs> tradition, and he wins races. Yeah, I like Chase Elliott, but and you know it's super. You can't easy. just put anyone in a Rick Hendrick car and win. I know. Dale Jr. proved that. He won. Not very often. Not not like Chase has. Yeah, Hendrick's a powerhouse man for sure. Well, a little bit. Tony Stewart has his guys have just not been running well this year. No, and Tony Stewart wanted to hire Kyle Larson really bad. Oh, I just read an article about that today. <laughs> and he couldn't get the full. He approval. couldn't get Haas to sign off on it, basically. Yeah. And and I think oh, there were some sponsors that wouldn't sign right. off on that too. Yeah. I mean, Rick Hendrick is sponsoring Kyle Larson. Yeah, yeah, it's Hendrick Motorsports number yeah. five. But Kyle Larson is, I think, the best pure driver in racing right now. I think you could put him in a Formula One or IndyCar, and he'd take top five. I wouldn't disagree, man. He races a lot of different stuff. Mm -hmm. He had never been in a sprint car before, and when he was blackballed by NASCAR, he started racing dirts. Yeah, never been in a sprint car before, and. He's winning races every week. This year, I think he won the Chili Bowl. I think he won Knox- Knoxville Nationals. Mm-hmm. I mean, we needed to get Kyle Larson to come race Ultra Four races. <laughs> that would be pretty special. <clears throat> but anyway, Chili Bowl's on my bucket list. We gotta we gotta I've go been. down there together. You've been to yeah. the Chili Bowl? Well, because I lived in Arkansas. I lived an hour away from Tulsa. <clears throat> oh my when, gosh! When we were I'm just the dirt track guy. When we were just married. Casey's dad bought me Chili Bowl tickets for my birthday one year. How come I don't remember this? I would have figured you would have thrown this in my face. Uh, I, this would have been like 2005. 
I was probably still trying to play baseball. Maybe 2006. And we went to Tulsa. We went on Saturday. And we stood in the the standing room section. We didn't have seats. Mm -hmm. We just had pit passes. And I think we stood on that platform for almost 12 hours. And we worked our way forward throughout the day. And it was loud, and it was stinky. Oh, I bet it! <clears throat> I bet it was incredibly nauseous. It that. was awful. And then we get home probably two in the morning. I felt back. like you had a hangover, probably. All I remember is taking off my clothes and like getting in the shower, and the it was just like brown, mm-hmm. like just dirt. And I didn't even feel dirty, but it was in my hair. It was in my clothes. Well, you're racing. Hundreds of dirt track cars yeah. around a track, indoors. I think that that day started with the double M feature. And they went like <laughs> from double M to M and uh-huh. so forth all the way down. And we, of course, stayed through the A main. Right. And I'm trying to think of who won that year. I don't know. Tony Stewart was there. Casey Kane Casey was Kane there. Casey Kane had to have been there. Bobby Lavani, maybe. No, there was, there was not a Bob lot of Mendinger. huge. Yeah, not then. No? Um, I Steve Kinzer. Sammy Swindell, Sammy maybe. Swin- slamming Sammy Swindell. It was a good race. And so I've never been back. Uh, Casey's dad, Danny, has been back a couple times, I think. And it's sweet. I mean, we should go. Yeah. That's on my bucket list, and I want to watch an NASCAR race at Bristol. Ah, uh, it's on my short bucket list for I, sure. I'm not so sure if I want to see Bristol dirt like they did this year or not. but It'd be cool. But I'd rather see a night race on right. on the I'd rather on the see concrete. a night race on concrete, I think. Progressive baking. So we pretty much just talked about racing the whole time. Yeah. You don't have this any... was a lot easier to talk about racing. Do we have any good stories? I mean, we have a lot of good we stories. We have a lot of good stories. But... I feel like most of our short stories we shouldn't be allowed to tell if the other guys that were party to those stories <laughs> weren't here. Because like, we might misremember. Right. But... I mean, we could talk about the first race car you ever owned. What race car did I own? The, what, probably 2.8 liter V6 85 Camaro that you... That was a multi-port <laughs> tuned injection, I think. Oh, multi- So, that was 3.4 liter V6? I got decent mileage... <laughs> You know, my wife, Casey, had the same car when I met her. Hers was an 87. She got 30 miles of the gallon in that thing. You must be getting old if you're wanting to talk about fuel mileage. And well, cars called Camaro. That was just her, like... Come on, man. That was her claim to fame with that 87. Was it had a beautiful blue paint job, and it was... Yours was maroon, though. Mine was not beautiful. No. Did have T-tops. Yeah, that leaked. Like um, every other 80s T-top Camaro. Man, I'm reluctant to share this on this podcast, but when I was in college, that was my car, yeah. and it started running poorly, and so someone told me that I needed to change the spark plugs. So me and my college roommate, Travis, uh, in the driveway of the house we were renting, changed the spark plugs at night because it was too hot to work during the day. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the lines the spark plug lines hooked up right, and so it <laughs> ran terrible. Oh, man. I figured that out, but somewhere in the middle of that process, I had to pull off a front wheel and tire to get to maybe one of the plugs, <laughs> and I dropped the Camaro on the ground. 
because uh, I had a scissor jack. Oh, God. Travis and I... At least you were equipped properly yeah, for the project. Travis and I... Well, I think we were working in the dirt or yeah. the mud, and it rained. And Travis and I picked up the quarter of that car <laughs> and got it back on a box. That was a good car. That was a good car. I might have left the T-tops off of that a few times in the middle of a torrential rain well, storm. The V6 Camaro was an upgrade from the Honda that you drove before that. You know, those early Honda Preludes, man, are like collector car now. <laughs> just like square body Chevys. Oh my gosh. You just don't know any guys that are into those race rockets. Uh, that's true. Next I don't thing you're going to tell me that my 85 Bronco 2 is a collector's. Well, item. maybe not your Bronco 2, but your Ram Chargers. Yeah, or an 86 Ram Charger. Increasing in value. And 85. Man, we had some terrible cars. Yeah. I, I mean, we didn't eight know miles that. miles the gallon in my Ram Charger. With the, the one with the 35s and the lift. The stock one, I got 10. <laughs> and those, all of those vehicles, your Bronco, I don't know I about I had two your, Bronco 2s and two Ram Chargers. I don't know about your Ram Chargers, but my Camaro, my Honda Prelude, maybe um, some other cars that we know about whose names we won't speak, all went off-roading. Oh, at yeah, some they did. point, yeah, they did. I'm not going to tell maybe, you yeah. where they went maybe across running. some school properties, maybe through somebody's front yard, and maybe through some oil fields. Yeah, popping some brand new tires that I just bought. Oh, that was a that was a good one. Yeah, that was. Well, most people understand, man, that kids are dumb. Yeah, we sh- we were pretty we dumb. Sure were. We thought we were pretty smart about it, but yeah. we didn't die. So apparently, we I don't were think okay. anybody ever even got hurt, man. I mean, I geek, I used to geek out so bad on four wheeler t- magazine and off road magazine. That's why you need to come to the races, man. <coughs> You'd freaking love it. It's nuts. Like I, my Ram Charger, four eleven gears. Uh, so you'd I had, be. I had an axle truss built into the front axle because the tire. It was bending the axle housing. So you'd be super into, like, the Everyman Challenge has three classes, 45, 46, and 48. So 48 is what they call legends. And that's where they take old 4,400 cars, and they put them in the legends class, and they have a tire size limit and a Mm -hmm. shock limit. Then they have, like, 46 and 45, which is basically stock and modified. And if you walked through the pits, you would totally geek out at all that stuff. I guarantee you I would. Hopper loves uh, the stocks and the mods. You know, with my new my new career of running a machine shop, do you know how much I wish I had time and money for a race car oh, now? Oh, dude. I would build a 20-time better race car now than I did then. So that's like the awesome thing with us. With, like, Hopper, Jeff, and Joe and I, like, I'll exclude Joe because he's kind of the old man of the group. And he's been around and Did done some stuff. Money of it? He's, he's definitely our backer. Okay. But he's he's been around, and he is the encourager. You guys can figure this out. You can learn how to do this. Hopper, in the last five years, but especially the last two years, especially since COVID hit, has, like, stepped up his fabrication game mm-hmm. big time it used to be a lot of i wish i could do this i want right. to do that and now it's like so 
One thing I was shocked about, and it's held up to what you've put it through so far, is that that frame was MIG welded. Yeah. I'm surprised Hopper's not in a TIG yet. He, that's probably his next, like, big game changer. Right. Um, but truly, you don't need to TIG until you're working with aluminum. Yeah, and we're not working with really any aluminum. Right. Um, I think he wants to. But it's also more expensive to get into that, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't know, for whatever reason, Hopper's the cheapest, like, <laughs> least thrift. Well, he's thrifty, but he just doesn't like spending money. And again, in the last two years, like, since COVID really started, he just drops dimes, man. Hmm. I wanted a welder. I buy a welder. I wanted this. I buy, you know, like, he, so what he built. What when, does he do for a living? He runs a wastewater treatment plant. Oh, he does. And he's a volunteer firefighter. I was going to say, I knew he was in the firefighter because something you said. So, during COVID, the first part of COVID, what he built was he took his XJ that he was running 35s on a a slightly modified XJ Cherokee. And he did the tons and 40s. Because that's what all the cool kids do, right? Tons and 40s. You buy one ton truck axles and you put 40 inch -inch tires tires on them. And then you mount them up on your XJ. And... No one makes a kit for this, right? You can buy a lot of different kits and take pieces and, the and front parts. Suspension of that vehicle is springs, yes. coils, and the yep. rear is leaves. Uh, yes, but I believe he's running. He converted to coils in the rear All the way when he did the whole axle swap. So he's using a four link or a five link or yeah. Wow. I'm going to have to have, we're going to have an episode where Hopper just talks about his Jeep <laughs> because it's crazy because he had to figure out all the math, all mm-hmm. the angles, all the angles geometry. he had to put everything right where it was. That's where Joe came in and really helped. Jeff and I didn't do Pinion anything. Angle. Jeff and I just showed up and like, oh, this is a great idea. Yeah, right. I do this. But every week it was like, I had to buy this. I had so to buy that. When he put one tons, which way do you go? You go Dodge, Ford, Chevy? I guess Chevy, you're working with an independent rear suspension. I think he's running Ford axles. I want to say they were off of an F-350. Mm-hmm. I think he got them from Joe. And he's a Ford guy anyway, but pretty readily accessible parts at yeah. any hardware store. Like if we go to Napa or CarQuest, right. you can buy F-350 drivetrain right. parts. Well, same with, come with a Ram 2500. Where we live, where we live, man, they're just—they don't exist. They rust out too fast, man. No, you're, they, just, they, you're just being. Are we recording right now? Because I want to tell everyone how stupid you are. From dust to dust, man. Right? Twelve and twenty-four valve Cummins will outrun every power stroke in the world. Well, look at <clears throat> now. You're bringing in Hopper's brothers. Hopper's <laughs> brothers are Dodge guys. They're still great people, but you know. Are we recording right now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But it was, I think my 6.4 liter Hemi will outrun most power strokes. I, I mean, especially the 6 liter. But anyway, Hopper's got a 6 liter. He uh, likes it. You said that right. 6 liter. Yeah. <laughs> he actually, this weekend, like what he's been texting me while he's gone is he started his dually conversion. So they took the bed off today. I mm-hmm. think they're, we're going to have the axle off tonight. Uh, he's got to take his new dually axle. It's off of a chassis cab dually, which is a little different than right. a regular dually. So yeah. he's got to move the perches and stuff for the springs right. and the shocks. 
So he's doing all that. Uh, he should have it done, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Wow. But because he's pushing. But it that's what I'm saying. In the last two years, he has stepped up his hobby. Hmm. He calls it a hobby. Right. But he's become a skilled fabricator. That's impressive. I would, like I said, I wish I was had the time and money to fabricate and build race cars now. After five years running a machine shop. What seemed really intimidating five to ten years ago mm -hmm. to us as 25, 30-year-old guys, right. as almost 40-year-old with some experience, it's not right. as bad. And on the fabrication side, the access I have to yeah. CNC lasers, CNC brake presses, um, I could, oh my gosh, two benders. I could have. If you weren't working like eighteen hours, if days, I wasn't working thirteen hours a day right now, you could be sneaking could, in that shop making some parts. I could be making some hellacious race car parts. I mean, I could. You know, we were talking earlier about uh, finding the next weakest link. When first blew up the rear end, next blew up the transmission. Next thing, guess what? The clutch. We were running. Towards the end there with my Monte Carlo, I was running a single disc mini clutch. Well, a stock clutch pack was three discs, weighed 23 pounds, and was about, I think, oh, yes, ma'am. My wife's texting me saying it's too late. <laughs> so. See, you'd fit right in with us at Rocky Mountain Speed and Fab. <laughs> so, I think the stock diameter of a stock clutch back then for a Saginaw 3-speed was 18 inches. I went to racing clutches, single disc, 7.5-inch diameter, weighed, I think, 5.6 pounds. So you're reducing rotating weight. Yep. You're adding horsepower to the rear wheel. And for a dirt track racer, at least, you're adding engine brake. Yep. When you let off the gas, that car shuts down without you hitting the brake pedal. So your foot, you're, you're always left foot braking if you're hitting the brakes yeah. in a properly set up car. But found out pretty quick that much horsepower this much traction the clutch was the weakest link i blew up a lot of single disc clutches yeah that cost me a lot and usually when they blew up i was running first it seems like well that's when your car <laughs> always breaks man right. i mean it might be too soon to bring it up but basically when we were at sturgis with josh smith that's what happened we qualified top two we ran the prelim top two he gets the whole shot on the main feature leads the first lap out of nine and then a ball joint snaps mm. a ball joint that mm -hmm. you know we could have changed if we knew it was fatigued but we we didn't catch it in the pre-race and a 50 dollar part yep. or a 150 dollar part whatever it was pretty much cost him a race i that's i had a Probably a one and a half cent part cost me a race once. Yeah. A little cotter pin that held my throttle linkage to my throttle pedal came out. Yeah, that's an important piece. <laughs> yeah. All, 
All I had to do was hold that linkage together and it fell off and I come out of turn four in first place, hit the pedal and it hit the floor and the car did nothing. Cost me that race. But, you know, Josh Smith, I mean, for a 20-year-old kid uh, who's doing really well, he took it really well. Like, hmm. you know, we went into the pits and he was immediately like, that's racing. Yeah. If you race enough, this is yeah. going to happen. Yeah. You cannot, there's nothing you can do about it. Let's just get it home, back to the shop, fix it, get now, back to the next race. Let me ask you something. Like, so you ran qualifiers, prelims, and a feature. So that was for Sturgis. Right, 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 right. What type of, as a pit guy, what type of work did you do between rounds? So Sturgis is a little different. Um, they really limited our track access. Mm -hmm. So I think it was Thursday for practice. We ran, it was a two mile course. Mm -hmm. We ran two laps mm -hmm. all day on Thursday, two laps. Okay. And Josh sets up his own car. Uh, he has a little bit of help from his guys, but pre-race setup at home, he does most of that. And you're t in pre-race setup, you're talking Go suspension, yep. Going travel, through. response, yep. recoil, all that. Going through the car, making sure everything's tight. Uh, right. He ran different wheels and tires for that race because of the different kind of course. So you run two laps on Thursday. There's not really much for us to do. So we hung out. So when I was dirt tracking... And in that street stock class with my Monte Carlo, if it went out on the track, before it went back on the track, we ran the valves, readjusted the solid lifter valves. We went through bell housing bolts, clutch bolts, transmission crossmember bolts, uh, U-joint uh, bolts, you know, lug nuts. We went through a, uh, a list of things that we had had fail on us. And we checked them every single time it came off the track yeah. before it went on the track again. So we're pretty similar with how we do that on our car. Obviously not all the same parts. Right. Our motors, we don't really worry about. They're, okay. they're pretty bulletproof. Time out. How many cylinder is a stock Polaris motor? Is it a, It's a two-cylinder. Okay. 1,000 cc. Jeez Louise. Maybe so it's a, a, a V-twin. Uh, it's not a V. No? No, it's a, it's just a two-cylinder, like, parallel. Really? Does that make sense? They're, are they opposite of each other, or are they next to each other? They're next to each other. Okay. And then okay. a centrifugal clutch mm -hmm. to the transmission. So we would check. You're, you have to be running aftermarket centrifugal clutches, right? No. No? We're running factory Polaris clutches. Now, we yes. have clutching in the clutches. Mm -hmm. We run different springs, different weights, different okay. helixes, uh, different internal parts. But okay. the sheaves themselves are, at least on our car, are factory. That's, that's cool. So, we would go through tie rods, ball joints, lug nuts, uh, A-arm bolts, mm -hmm. uh, rear suspension bolts. Uh, Josh, I know, likes to change his clutch belt between every run. Doesn't uh -huh. matter. Um, so he goes through a lot of belts. And that's a rib, that's a, a tooth belt, right? Uh, yeah, a ribbed belt, yeah. like Kevlar. Right. Um, wow. We don't necessarily do the belt change every run. Depends on kind of the race that we're at, because a lot of our races are more endurance races. Right. Like Montana was 160 miles. 
Yeah, four forty miles. And change it every time you yeah. got the chance. Uh, Sturgis being a short course, two mile laps. The feature was nine laps on a two mile course, so it was eighteen. Miles. Yeah, so it wasn't much, but it was hard. <clears throat> so, well, and you're talking to a guy. My track was three eighths of a mile. Yeah. And our feature was usually around twenty laps. And we'd go through bumper to bumper valves, you know, yeah. like checking everything we could think of. Well, and your engines were totally different than well, we yeah. were running. I mean, yeah, V8, 700 horsepower. Yeah. With a few modifications. With a few modifications. So we go through mostly like suspension and chassis stuff. Um, and if your car's set up right, you're really not changing anything in the car uh, as far as like your comms and your air and your safety stuff that's all pretty standard you just double check it but we paint all of our bolts every bolt oh. on the car you paint yeah so you know in a quick pit because what i think we're talking about about 10 gallons of fuel is all we can carry hmm. in a stock cell yeah so in a race you pit a lot you come yeah. through the pits and so you get checked a lot and so that's why the paint is helpful for yeah. us very that's good thinking but Again, there's not a lot you can do. I mean, it's either broke or it's not. Right. Um, and do you start a 40-mile lap if you think something's breaking? Or do you just call it because you don't want to break? Two miles into a 40-mile yeah. lap. Or probably worse yet, 18 miles into So, a like, for us at our typical races, and Sturgis wasn't that different from this, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of sitting around for, like, five minutes of crazy... Like level ten action, yeah, and then wait. And these are also Ultra Four is a no chase race okay. organization. Yeah. So we, if you break down on the course, even if we can get to you, we can't take you parts. The only people that can take you parts or help you physically outside of the pits are other racers. Mm. So it, that probably doesn't happen very often. It happens all the time. Really, which is what makes Ultra Four kind of more family based family oriented hmm. you can run a part to a race or if a guy's in the pit you can hand him a drive axle and say my guy's broke down on this mile you're going by him just give it Throw to it him out. you don't have to help him just give it to him right and we see that at hammers all the time we see guys pull over because let's be honest 90 percent of us are not racing to win 90 percent right. of us are racing to is finish complete, complete it yeah so the big push, especially at Hammers, is is if you see a car upside down, you stop. Mm-hmm. You do not keep racing, um, and see, make I'd, sure. I was I was about to ask you if you guys ever thought of is there a class for Baja Five Hundred, Baja One Thousand, but that is more cutthroat it style is. racing. There, <clears throat> you know, we've talked about racing Mexico before, because really, that's everybody's. I mean, like, that's. That's the probably the still the creme de la creme. Yeah. Top of the hammers. Top is, of the heap. Hammers is close, but hammers is only fifteen years old. Right. Right. Baja is sixty years yeah. old, probably. I mean, There's, the, the original Bronco in nineteen sixty six was yep. was a big Baja so one thousand breakthrough. The the push for me with Mexico personally because I'm a I'm a pit guy. And I've always been told the score Baja races, it's more dangerous to be a pit guy than it is to be in the race. Oh, really? Right? Because you've got 10 times more people. Mm-hmm. 
all still up for the whole endurance of the race, driving all mm. over the peninsula of Baja. Because it is a chase race. It is a chase race. Yeah. Most of those guys are not under any kind of um, drug testing or <laughs> alcohol testing. So you've got a lot of people doing a lot of stuff. To try to stay awake for... Or just because it's Baja. Yeah. So while score is really like the class, that's the one to be in. Mm-hmm. There's a another class called uh, Nora. And what Nora does is they race the Baja 1000, the Nora 1000. But they have mile markers where they stop every night. Mm-hmm. And it's all a corrected time race. Yeah. So everybody stops at point A for the night. And everybody stops at point B for the night. So the big push is that it's safety. It takes five days to run 1,000 miles instead of 30 hours to right. run 1,000 miles. It's the, more like the Iditarod. The other thing that they do is they party every night. Yeah. Right. So it's we've been told it's the more casual race. Um, it's the safer race, but... I don't know that anything in Mexico is probably like a safe race. <laughs> right. Who knows what you'd run into on the back road there. Um, well, I've got buddies that have ran it, and yeah, it's nuts. But yeah. that's every that's our goal, or my goal, to go down there and pit for guys. But Ultra 4, the push for Ultra 4 for us is that it's really that community, that family-based series. Hmm. Like I said, guys will help. Now, not... All the guys. That 10% that's looking for the win, right. let, them, let them race. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But hmm. it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. That's why I'd say you'd love the race because we really just get to hang out. Right. I mean, there are definitely heavy crunch times. My first year we rebuilt the front end of a Can-Am the day before qualifying, you know, when we had no time on it before the race. Um, this year, before we got there, one of our team cars destroyed the transmission three days before the race. So they re- fully rebuilt the transmission uh, on a plastic fold-up table in the middle of the desert. <laughs> and they they raced. I mean, they made the race. It ran good. That wasn't what led them to not winning or, or not finishing. But, yeah, it's hmm. nuts. So you need to come to California with us next year, I guess. Oh, God. You'd get hooked. I mean, that's basically what happened to me. I got invited. I went with these dudes. I pitted. And I was like, I'm hooked. I want to be a part of this. <laughs> Joe was like, after this year, when I got him to go, he he was hooked. And we got to be a part of this. We got to have a car. Mm-hmm. I have no interest in riding in that car. Really? He took me out two weeks ago. See, I, I still can't go to a race. And watch because I'll want to build a car. And I'll, that's I'll... that's how you're wired. <laughs> I went. I still feel like I could drive. I went 92 miles per hour in a razor on a dirt road, and I said, "That's good. That's good. Get me out of the car. <laughs> Let me fix it. I don't ever want to do that again." <laughs> and Joe and Jeff, our driver, co-driver, they they thought it was cool. They wanted to keep doing it. And right. all I could think about was, this is going to hurt really, <laughs> really bad when when it goes south. Well, so, that just means you haven't wrecked enough. I don't need to wreck. I don't want to wreck. I've wrecked, I've, I've wrecked enough to know. I'm, 
I've been through everything that I felt I was scared of in a race car besides a fire, like a real fire. And see, that brings us full circle, man. I thought that <laughs> I thought that car was on fire, and I was done. I was out. No thanks. But <laughs> I had I had won a race in what was called bomber class, which was run what you run big V8 big cars and it was a it was a four-door chevy nova that i that i was in and it was kind of a it was an old man's old car that he had built in the 80s to dirt track in and it had been sitting in storage for years and years and years we put a freshened up chevy 350 in it the guy Ren, the Bob Renner, the owner of Ren Racing, gave me a call and said, I got a car I need you to drive. Will you meet us at the track on Wednesday <laughs> to, a, to, to practice? And I went out, practiced in that car, came back in, said, you put me in this car, it'll win. And first race out, I gapped second place by three quarters of a lap and lapped everyone else, won the race, and... I pulled up on the scales. <laughs> the inspector, I pulled up on the scales to be for the post-race inspection. The inspector told me to shut it down. I I flipped the switch for the ignition, shut it down, and instantly the whole engine bay was in fire, was engulfed in flames. And I knew what had happened just from experience. Valve covers leaked on the exhaust manifolds, and once the fan quit moving air it was able to ignite so I just reached over turned ignition back on cranked it back over started it up put the fire out looked at the inspector and he goes you're good <laughs> <laughs> and I drove back to the pits and left it running until I had a water tank <laughs> uh, fires are scary man fires are because I'm sure it's the same in yours I was in a five point harness yeah uh, neck braces and Hans device and not a and lot of room to get not out. Not a lot of room to get out. And I'm, oh, you would hate. I'm a six foot four, two hundred and forty pound guy getting in and out of a, a window. Duke's a hazard so style. That, that was a big reason when we did our design. <laughs> Jeff and Joe were like, "We're not welding the doors. Mm. Our doors need to open." Because Jeff's about your size. Yeah. Jeff's a big guy, and he doesn't want to be stuck in there. Yeah. And a UTV is not. You don't have a lot of real estate inside right. that cab. I could imagine. Never sat in one. But... Well, I got an hour and 15 minutes worth of stuff. Think you could edit this down to something useful? I don't know if this is going to be a 30-minute episode, but I could definitely <laughs> edit it down. But oh my. If nothing else, like what I've told Hopper and the other guys, is like we're at least recording this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're 80 years old and we're losing our minds yet, right. but we're going to forget some of this stuff, man. Now you're going to go home and your wife's going to be pissed because you're going to be like, uh, I got I to gotta build a race car. No, I don't have the time. I'm too involved in youth sports now with my boys. I, As long as I stay away from the racetrack, I can talk about it still, t tell stories still, but my focus are, is my boys and what they want. 
So that's why you need to come to an ultra four race with us and hang out in the pits because it'll just be a good vacation because you'll mm-hmm. enjoy it, but you'll... Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you this. If I spend the money on a vacation to California, if my wife doesn't go... <laughs> Well, details. There's going to be some issues. Uh, it's not... We don't go to the real part of California. Right. The other weird thing... I just went to this UTV rally for a week at Taylor Park, Colorado. And uh, we woke up in the morning every morning. And there were no race cars. Like, I have become groomed to when I camp with a certain group of buddies... When the sun comes up, you start hearing engines fire up. Mm-hmm. And everywhere you go, you smell race gas. Mm-hmm. And everywhere you go, everybody's dirty because they're working on race cars. Well, we go to this rally, and, like, we don't have to do any of that. And it's almost like withdrawals. Like, I'm in a nice RV park. Mm-hmm. I want to hear cars. I want to be woken up by cars firing up their 1,000-horsepower mm-hmm. motors at 6 in the morning. Everybody says I'm nuts. But it gets in your system. That that leads me to another it. question I thought of asking you. What octane fuel are you running? Um, we're just running ninety one premium oh, really? on ours. Uh, Josh, and yours is turboed. Yeah. Okay. Josh Smith runs. He runs the VP. I think it's ninety four octane. Hmm. It smells good. Is all back. When I got to Street Stocks, running that Monte Carlo, I ran 110 VP. That's expensive. Mm-hmm. And it's it hard. Was, it was expensive 15 years ago when I was doing it. It's, I can't it's, imagine what, I don't have a clue what it costs now. It's not hard to get in the real world, but like at the races where we're at, mm-hmm. like it's hard to get. Well, you got to bring your own barrel. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Or you got to pay them to give you your barrel right. at the race. And at the dirt track, they had their own pumps that was yeah. 110. Expensive. Right. But, I know guys that run 110 and turbo snowmobiles, and they go to the airports mm-hmm. on the way up, and that's where they fill their stuff up. Mm-hmm. But we have ours. Yeah, I was wondering tuned. if you were ever if methanol or anything like that. I think some guys mess with it, especially in the bigger classes mm-hmm. that run like, you know, bigger motors, bigger cubes. And- <clears throat> but on the side by sides, it's pretty standard. You just that we're all running tuned cars. We all have tuners on them. So. <sighs> but it's not cheap. I remember back in the day, people would put additives in their fuel to make it smell like something. Yeah. Like root beer. Two-stroke two stroke guys do that you, still. You, a car would be idling in the pits. You'd walk by and, man, that smells like root beer. It's like... It was crazy. Oh, I just love the smell of race gas, yeah, man. Yeah, me too. It just, in a garage, it sucks. Because it burns your eyes. <laughs> Golly. So in Sturgis, I slept in Josh's enclosed trailer. Mm-hmm. And he he keeps the car in the trailer when it's not being ran. So I'm sleeping with the race car, with the VP jugs, mm-hmm. everything. I slept real good that night. <laughs> But it was fun. Yeah. It'd be interesting. I mean... It's different, but it's the same. So, I mean, what you were saying earlier, you're... With the, with the players turboed, you're right around 200 horsepower? 
with our tune stock is 168 with our tune we're probably just under 200 horsepower and i'd i'd ballpark it at 1500 pounds right and like if you were to get into the engine machining work of things just like with what i did with V8s, polish and porting heads, um, cams, cams, clutch, stroker kits. Clutching is a lot of it too. Stroker kits to make more cubes out of the yep. same weight. Um, d- dome pistons to up compression. I think like that. in the UTV world, it's not as big of a push, right? Because yeah. we're more suspension, right? Right. That and you're under 15 you're 1500 pounds yeah you don't need you, that you create much more horsepower when are you going to find that next weakest link yeah and when are you going to like we talked about earlier too getting that power to the ground right you don't you know personally that's why I don't have a turbo because I do a, a little bit more technical I mean first of all I'm driving a family fun wagon mm-hmm. so I'm not doing anything crazy but I don't need a turbo because I don't need the boost. And in right. a lot of instances, like when we go to Moab and we rock crawl and that boost kicks on. Then you're just spinning. Yeah, what's it get you? Right. I mean, there. Are, don't and, get me wrong, man. When I hear the turbo, <laughs> like I want the turbo. Right. But, all right, well, man, we just talked for like an hour and a half. <laughs> and it is uh, 1230 at night. Yep. Your wife is texting you. Yep. My... Wife is probably well asleep. My five-year-old is probably still awake watching TV downstairs. <laughs> but uh, my boys better be to be asleep. Man, that was like a good hour and a half of like full race talk. We didn't get yeah, any. We didn't, we didn't do we didn't any even talk about any. No, no mischief. <laughs> yeah. No trouble that we caused. We must right. have just forgotten about all that. Must but have. Must that, never happen. Well, and that statute of limitations <laughs> still might not have ran out on some of that stuff. So, <laughs> anyway, thanks for being on the podcast, man. Thanks for talking about racing. Thank you. Thanks I, for. Uh, it was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Thanks for getting me in my first race car. Yep. You should probably apologize to my wife for that. <laughs> I should probably apologize to your wife for keeping you up until 1230 on a Saturday night. And yeah, long weekend. Holiday weekend. Yeah, man, but we're almost 40. Like, I don't know how late yeah. you stay up every night. This is late. This is pretty late for me, too. So, anyway, it was awesome, man, and thanks for being I had to go to work on. tomorrow. I'd be waking up in three hours. Well, you're a harder worker than I am. <laughs> I work for the government, so yeah. what do you expect? But thanks for being on it, man. Appreciate it. No problem. All right. Well, if you guys are still listening, boy, I greatly appreciate it. It was a real pleasure for me to sit down with Bob and talk racing. As you can tell, Bob is your typical dirt track racer with a memory like a steel trap. And he has the trophy case to back it up. He's been a lifelong friend, and I sure hope I can get him out to experience some Ultra 4 racing next year. Stay tuned for some more awesome guests coming in the future, guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the races. Don't forget to look up Rocky Mountain Speed and Fab on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You've been listening to The Pit Guys. We'll see you at the races.